What's going on everyone? Alex De Silva. Hope you are well on this amazing, amazing day. Today, I have a great guest, Mr. Andy Cope. He is a teacher, a learning junkie, and he is the author of The Art of Being Brilliant amongst other amazing books as well. He's also the first ever Doctor of Happiness, which I'm really keen to explore. So, Andy, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the show. Hey, mate. Thanks for having me, Alex. And I'm very aware, by the way, uh, I'm self-aware enough to understand that Doctor of Happiness sounds really cheesy and really awful. <laughs> I, I, always, I kind of toyed with Dr. Feelgood, but that's creepy. So we're going to be Dr. <laughs> Happy. And actually, it's kind of interesting after slogging away for 12 years, getting a PhD in basically positive psychology. So yeah. my job, mate, for 12 years has been to seek out happy people and follow them around. Yeah. And um, I managed to make a career then out of um, sharing... Because that comes out to 130,000 academic words in a PhD thesis. But if you lose all the big words, yeah. you move down to, to the basics. That's, that's what I want to share today. Yeah. And, and you know what? I was really keen to, to, to touch on that because, you know, where did that come from? Because, I, I don't know, you know, happiness and love is one of these things that I think we all seek. You know, it's really, really important, especially the world that we live in. And I'm sure we're going to touch on that. But where did that come from for you? Is it something you've always wanted to, to, to go down? No, no, I'm, um, I'm your old-fashioned student. So I went to uni in the 80s and I studied economics and management and stuff, but it had a lot of psychology in it, my degree. So I learned for three years about phobias, disorders, anxiety, depression, paranoia, schizophrenia, all, quite frankly, all the shit that can go on in your life because traditional yeah. psychology was always about what could go wrong with you. And so there wasn't a single lecture on happiness or well-being. It's almost like it wasn't a valid emotion, so psychologists had, had never studied it. So I knew there was something missing. I just didn't know what. I hadn't even crossed my mind, because this was the late 80s when I got my degree. And then um, I discovered something called positive psychology, which is kind of an American thing, really. Marty Seligman, you might have spoken about it on your podcast before, mm -hmm. um, where it flips psychology totally on its head. So... I think, reflecting back now, psychology has completely missed a trick. So for thousands of years, psychology has been about the study of illness and people who need a leg up in life. Mm -hmm. So that psychologists would work with you, they would give you some medication or some therapy or some counselling to make you better. But therefore, psychology has completely and utterly missed a trick. It's, we've never, ever studied people who are already feeling amazing. Yeah. Think about it. It's bizarre, isn't it? There are, you can't think of many in your life, but there will be a handful of people in your life who are flourishing, who are absolutely bag full of energy, full of happiness, full of being. People like yourself, Alex. Yeah. You know, I can tell. You know, and, and it's like, well, psychology is not interested in you, mate, because you're not ill. No. So what psychology has done is spent forever looking at ill people. So I, I thought I'd flip the psychological coin and do Britain's first ever sort of proper academically driven, credible, if you like, study of people who are already feeling amazing. So who are they? I mean, who are these weirdos? Yeah. What are, what are they doing that allows them to feel so amazing? And most, of the, most importantly, is what can we learn from that we can then put into practice so we can be amazing too? And yeah. honest to God, mate, it, it has changed my life. Uh, I've obviously made a career out of it. I write books about it. But of course, we lose the academia. What the world doesn't need is 130,000 more academic words. Yeah. What it needs is, what have I really learned? What are the really simple principles? And the biggest challenge with 12 years of research is trying to make it sound cleverer than it is you know when you're doing a phd you have to you have to make yourself appear cl cleverer than you are and writing academic hieroglyphics that only people with big foreheads can can understand yeah. and, and that's not me mate that's not, i write kids books as well you know i've got a mental age of seven and three quarters <laughs> i've learned i've learned to play the academic game to get the phd but ultimately my passion lies in accessing the academia that we can all understand that we can do and it's all so doable that's the bit yeah yeah. In fact, you're, you're happy as Larry. I said, I said on the email, we'd start with, have you spoken about Larry before, who he, who he was? Do you I know, know I, I, mentioned, I never have, actually. I was waiting, I think, for, for, for this episode. You know, we, uh, Lucy and I talked about it very briefly. We, we do other videos on, on YouTube and stuff, and we talked about it previously, but not in detail. So when you mentioned you wrote that on, on one of your books, I thought, well, we've got to Well, the happy as Larry, the concept of happy as Larry, I mean, it's easily Googleable. Every, all the whole world is available online now. So I Googled, yeah. like you Googled, who the hell's Larry? 
Yeah. It's Larry. Who is he? And he was a boxer, wasn't he? Larry Foley. I think yeah. from the Victorian times. Yeah. And, uh, he, he won about 100 grand or something, which was, imagine how much money that was at the time. Yeah. So he must have had a big smile on his face. He was undefeated and, and therefore everybody wanted to be as happy as Larry. That's it. <laughs> but exactly. actually, if you think about it, it's a little bit sad because money made Larry happy. It's 100 yeah. grand made him happy. Oh, God, what yeah. My research, what my research shows is that's absolutely not the case, really. But yeah. I, I, love, I love the fact that Larry was a real person with a big grin on his chops. Um, and everybody wanted to be like Larry. And everybody wants to be yeah. happy. You touched on it right at the start. It's, we're all searching. For, there's not a single person on the planet who, who doesn't want to feel a bit better. Yeah. The, modern world is, the modern world is great. I wouldn't want to be born in any other time in any other country. But the modern world is full on. It's exhausting. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of physically and emotionally, most people are just knackered. Yeah. You know, crawling to the next holiday, trying to yeah. have a quick respite at a weekend and then thrown back into the Monday morning commute into work. And it's like, I describe it in, uh, if, if you've seen Sixth Sense, a Bruce Willis movie. Oh, yeah. A bit of a spooky movie. Yeah. But there's a line in that movie where this little lad says to Bruce Willis, he says, uh, I see dead people. Yeah. And I'm like, shit, I'm seeing them as well. You know what I mean? On a Monday morning. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and that's a really interesting thing because, you know, and I, and I actually wanted to, to touch on that because you, one of the topics was, you know, how modern world is, is robbing us of, of our happiness. And, and I thought that was such an important thing. And I wanted to touch on that with you because I couldn't agree more, you know, with, you know, the way social media is at the moment, you know, with the way the news, you know, on TV and, and how everything is being portrayed. It's almost like what you were saying when you were studying psychology, it's almost like we are just completely focusing on all the wrong things. And do you find that as well? Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, most people are living life fast, but are they living it well? And that is a massive question, mate, because, you know, the average lifespan, I do school visits. I write kids' books, so I sometimes do school visits mm-hmm. so in primary schools. And I, I remember being in, in Halifax up in Yorkshire, and there's 400 kids of nine years old in the audience. And I announced to these kids, came up on stage and said, okay, kids, before we start, I've got a statistic for you. So the average lifespan in this room is 4,000 weeks. And these kids went ballistic. They were leaping around the hall going, yeah, that's like fantastic. That's like forever. Thanks, Andy. And then the next day I was doing a corporate thing. So I thought I'll start the same with the adults. I said, guys and girls, you know, the average lifespan in this room is 4,000 weeks. And there's this kind of tumbleweed moment of everybody's like, really? That's not a very big number of you, <laughs> you kind of thing. And there was no punching in the air, no leaping around the hall and high-fiving. Yeah. I think it's that, and it's that realization that you're 4,000 weeks, you're going by in a blur. That's the thing with the modern world is busyness. So B-U-S-Y-N-E-S-S is now a real word. And busyness means, well, that sums everybody listening to this podcast. Podcast is, is you haven't really got time to do the things on your to-do list. And I think social media means we're, we're over-communicating but under-conversing. So it's not lack of communication. There's plenty of communication flying around. Mm-hmm. But it's not face-to-face. It's not with your mate in the pub anymore. Yeah. No, it, it, or if it is, it's not often enough. And I just think that we're losing that kind of human connection and, and, and maybe conversing a little bit, particularly blokes. I mean, we're really bad at talking about what really matters as well, aren't we? Yeah. Well, this is thing, <laughs> we, we, we pussyfoot around subjects and not yeah. daring to really get into it. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and, and that's the, the thing that, you know, I'm really trying to, to, to get us to overcome, you know, because that sense of, of brotherhood, I think it's, it's kind of lost its meaning a little bit, you know, and I... I have been very fortunate, you know, last a couple of weeks ago, I went to, to uh, a meditation retreat and it was just, it was just men. And <laughs> that was really interesting. It was the first one we ever put together, but it was so powerful, you know, to have a, a room full of, full of guys, actually, you know, some crying and some people getting really, you know, emotionally available, but real men, you know, talking yeah. about real stuff, sex, you know, relationships, you know, problems at home, financial stuff, and just, you know, trying to find the answer. You know, what do you think the, the, the problem is and how can positive psychology help that, especially with, with guys? Um, yeah, okay, let's just get back, back to what you're talking about, men now. I'll come back to the question about the modern world in a sec, but yeah. um, emotional intelligence. I wrote a book about emotional intelligence and what it, uh, it hit me a few years ago. It, right, very simple story. I'll, I'll tell it really quick. Um, so my wife and I were having a barbecue one night and uh, a couple of our mates turned up. I'll, I'll, I'll name them, Mick and Julie. And they were going through a, a terrible, horrible separation divorce at the time. So it's like a bit awkward. So Mick's moved out. Julie's yeah. got the family home. And it's like, oh my God, these are our best mates. And, and it's really, really awkward. So there's about 30 people at the barbecue and it was kind of going really well. But what happened at a barbecue is 
all the blokes, me and Mick and all the lads, we, we stood around the flames and the fire, grilling sausages, not knowing what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, and, and, and being a bit Neanderthal. And the women are all down, they congregated down the bottom end of the garden all together, drinking a Chardonnay and talking. I don't know what they were talking about. Right? Yeah. But um, at the end of the night, you, you know, everybody's gone home and me and my wife are tidying up and it's devastated after 30 people have been around. I'm doing the washing up, a bit drunk, bleary-eyed. She's going around with a back, big bin liner collecting all the empties. And we had a conversation over the sink. So here's me washing up after this barbecue. And um, she's like, uh, oh, you know, Julie. Julie's having a really hard time. I said, is she? Said, oh, yeah, she can't sleep at night. She's having panic attacks. She, apparently in Asda, she broke down and, and burst into tears spontaneously in the, Asda, in the, in the grocery aisle because of the separation with Mick. It's really affecting her terribly. So I said, oh, that's interesting. She said, how's Mick? And I said, well, well, he seemed all right, you know. She said, what do you mean he seemed all right? Did you not ask him how he felt? I said, well, well, I don't think he wanted me to. You know what I mean? I think, the, the, so what, what it transpired, and I hadn't realized at the time, but what it transpired, me and the lads are uh, 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 congregating around the smoke and the barbecue, talking about cars and beer yeah. and mortgages probably and pensions. And the girls down at the bottom of the garden are going, oh, he's not looking at you. He's not looking at you. You know, oh, what a bastard. And they're all getting all emotional, all touchy-feely. And we are completely skirting around the whole subject, the biggest thing in Mick's life. And we're not daring talking about it. Yeah. And that's the difference, mate. And that's, actually, that's how we're wired, though. That's how, yeah. that's how it works, is that females have got this inbuilt sense of emotional intelligence. They, they're much more comfortable going to these places uh, and talking about these things that blokes don't. So the fact that you're opening up a kind of opportunity for men to do that is like pretty brave yeah. but like really really cool because we need it otherwise we, yeah. we go potty don't we and um, you know the, there were seven, 58 million prescriptions for antidepressants written in england last year there's an epidemic of unhappiness fella yeah that's a lot of that's a lot of people who aren't very happy having to take chemicals to get through the day yeah. um you know and people if you watch them on the commute we're all buzzed up on caffeine and sugar trying to survive yeah. to, you know to the next sort of sugary hit and i just think that the science of positive psychology gives us some as i'm sure we'll come to later on gives us some kind of really simple reminders i don't describe it as personal learning it's like personal remembering because we all know how to feel happier mm. but we're not doing it and the modern world is 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 speeded us up and taking our eye off happiness it's it's one of these things what you uh, i'm interested in what you mentioned and i guess that's the reason why you know this for me uh, has become so important because you know i've learned we we all start at the same place you know we come out of mum and when it comes to the end of life we all go pretty much the same way some of us go in different ways but we all die at the end and you know, I've learned and, and my partner is, is, you know, she's an incredible woman as well as, well, you know, as my grandmother. And I've learned, you know what, we feel exactly the same thing. Yes, women are a little bit more open and receptive to being, you know, emotionally attached. But God gave us those emotions exactly the same thing as they did, you know. And when I learned that, and I think that was the blessing for me is that I grew up around women. So having that, um, you know, I guess the, the sort of the exposure allowed me to just be that little bit more open. And I used to think I was a bit weird because, you know, I, would, I was quite happy to, to talk about my stuff. Um, and that's one of the things sometimes I, as you said, standing around a barbecue and skirting around, the, you know, the, the conversation. It is hard, you know, for, for most of us because it is that thing where men, especially in today's society as well, we have this, you know, we're told you have to be brave, you can't show emotions, chin up, you know, man up. You know, all of these things that we get taught from a very young age as well, you know, from very little, we start to get told these things and it gets ingrained into us that, well, you know, if I talk about my emotions, which I have inside and these things are killing me, if I don't express these things, you know, am I going to be seen as weak? Am I going to be called names? Am I going to get bullied? And that's the, 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 I'm trying to call it out now, you know, I'm trying to call it bullshit now and say, listen, it's rubbish, you know, let's, let's face the music. And, 
with the people that I've tried, you know what, it's, it's worked wonders. You know? Yeah, uh, but I think, you know, the fact that you just alluded to the fact maybe you're a bit weird is, is bang on, mate, because that's what the world needs is a few more weirdos who are going to challenge the status quo. Yeah. All, the people, all the people that I've been studying for the last 12 years are slightly odd in terms of, I call them the two percenters, right? So I've been studying the 2% of the population who are consistently feel ama- feeling amazing. So they've got this, pa- this, this past and this present and this kind of predicted future. <clears throat> They've got more energy, like like thirty five percent more energy than your average Joe. They've got more statistically significantly more happiness. They create strong relationships. They're great to have around. And the best thing about my two percenters is, is that they it's what I call flourishing. And flourishing is when your happiness is bigger than you, yeah. uh, and it leaks out of you, and other people catch it. <laughs> and it's these two percent of people you can think in your life. You could probably name them right now. You can't name many of them, but when they're in the room, you feel good. And that fella, that is such a powerful thing because that's like an emotional contagious thing. And we're all, we're all contagious. Your emotions are an open loop. So you cannot not have an impact on your fellow human beings. So really what I'm looking at is how can you, who are these two percenters and what are they doing? And, and they are weird. Statistically, they're weird. In fact, there's this kind of thing in psychology. Right. Here we go. Let me give you a male story, right? I'm a bit mentally scarred from about six weeks ago. I did a corporate thing. So my flagship course, The Art of Being Brilliant, normally goes really well. And I was dying on my ass, right, mate? Because I had 80 men in the room. And these are real men, like, yeah. as, you, as you just described. Yeah. They've got dirt under the finger. Not like me, dirt under the fingernails. They can put IKEA furniture together. They could probably <laughs> tinker under the bonnet of a car. I can't do any of those things, mate. Right? <laughs> yeah. right? and, and I walked in with my happiness. I've got a T-shirt with happiness all over it. It just yeah. says happiness on it. I'm a doctor of happiness. There's a, there's a page of blurb on the table that says, Andy's the UK's first, first ever doctor of happiness. 80 men on a miserable Monday morning. I bounced in with my happy T-shirt on. I could see straight away that some of the lads at the back weren't impressed. Yeah. I haven't even started, right? I haven't even started. I'm just getting set up with my laptop and my PowerPoint. And this bloke shouted out from the back. He said, Oi! He says, Dr. Happy. He says, look at me. He says, diagnose me. And I, and I said, what do you mean? He says, look at me. And I looked at him. He says, am I happy? And I looked at his face. There's no outward signs of happiness. You know, you know, the face like a slap backside. So I said, to be fair, mate, to be fair, mate, you don't look very happy. He says, right, let me make this clear before you start. He says, I'm not happy and I've never been happy and I've got no intention of starting today. Right. And his mate next, his mate, I'm not even started yet, fella. I'm, I'm dying of death. Oh and his mate God. next to him, his mate next to him, an old, old fella, he kind of said, yeah, he says, I'm not happy either. He says, I've worked here 32 years and I've not had a good day yet. And it's almost like this badge of honor about this male culture where everything's a bit shit. Yeah. We hate our jobs and we're going to be miserable at work. And I'm thinking, so 45 minutes in, right? And I'm doing the keynote thing, and, and I, I said to the guys, I said at the end, I, I said halfway through, I said, lads, I've never given up before. I've never actually not taken my money. I'll just go home because I've got one more question, but otherwise I'm going to give up because this is not working, right? I said, put your hands up if you're alive. And there's a bit of debate about that and these 80 blokes in the room. Oh, I don't know. Are you alive? I'm not sure. Are you alive? In the end, uh, after about a minute, 80 hands got, went up, right? Not all the way up, halfway up, half-heartedly. And I said, lads, keep your hand in the air if you're truly living. And 75 hands went down before I'd finished my sentence. And that, for me, breaks my heart because there is a difference, fella, between having a pulse and taking your 4,000 weeks full on. And I'm coming at this, and you're coming at this from the latter. Let's go for it. We've got 4,000 weeks to make a dent in the fucking universe. You know what I mean? What are we waiting for? Let's just go for it. And therefore, we have to be weird. We have to break out of the learned ways of thinking and behaving that culturally you've grown up with people telling you how you have to behave. And it's not true. Yeah. It's not true. It all comes from your thinking and your, and your, and your belief systems. And what yeah. we're trying to do, what you're doing, and you're coming at it from a slightly different angle, but we're in the same thing, is we're trying to smash those belief systems. Yeah. So get people to properly wake up, properly come alive. And do you know what? When you're fully tuned into yourself, then the modern world, it's still full on and it's still pacey and it's still fairly exhausting, but it's a lot easier to deal with. Yeah. And the shit goes away. It means it puts you in a better place to deal with it. And that's what really switches me on, fella. Yeah. And, you know, with, with what you're doing, you know, and, and the, the sort of the program that you have, what do you suggest? You know, what, what are kind of the, uh, the, the tools? Because 
you know, for me, I like you, you know, I, I work with people all the time and, you know, and, and we have something that, that we help, you know, with, with people as well. And, you know, I always say to clients when, when they, as, exactly as you said, when you're standing there and you're talking to people and you can just see there is just nothing there. And going through <laughs> yeah. statistics and you're talking about life, you've gone, oh, I'm so miserable. I can't do this. I can't, I hate that word. The word can't, can't, failure, perfection. I hate those words. To me, they don't exist. And I say to people, you know, or, you know, it's impossible. Clearly, it isn't impossible because people are doing and breaking records and doing all sorts of crazy things all the time. So clearly, it isn't impossible to live and to be happy, especially that. So I say to people, says who? That's always my word. Says who? Who says that? And, you know, what's your solution to, you know, because you studied these two percenters and these people that, you know, that, that thrive and, you know, and spill out more happiness that they can cope with. What do they do differently? Yeah, they do lots of stuff differently. I mean, I'll, I'll, get, I'll, I'll boil it down to some basics in a sec. But you're right about what you just said there. I mean, I'm kind of all sorts of things triggering in my head is that the language, the language you use is that's, it's like the cultural ecosystem that we live in is the language that we use. But of course, the most important language you ever use is the language in your head. It's your self-talk. It's the way you think. And, then, and this becomes really, really crucial. Because if you go right back to what nobody ever tells you ever on a course is that your happiness isn't real. Mm. And, 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 and that's the starting point of happiness, mate, is to understand it's not actually a real thing. So your happiness is, uh, as in what I mean by that is you can't buy it in the shops. It's not got a shape and a mass and a form. You don't put it in a wheelbarrow. Mm. Happiness is an emotion. Yeah. So it's an, um, and, and therefore, it's what we call a mental construct, which means that there is only one place your happiness can ever come from, yeah. right? And it's your thinking, yeah. right? There is no other source of happiness. Of course, the world doesn't, the world fools you. So most people go to their grave in the mistaken belief system that the external world is making them feel in a certain way. So it's, it's the commute that's getting me down or Monday mornings are depressing me. But no, no, no. It's the way you're thinking about Monday mornings that is depressing you. You can't have that feeling unless you first had a thought. Um, and, and understanding that happiness, therefore, is a complete mental construct. It is created within your head. So therefore, there's got to be better ways of thinking. And what you, if, if you study happy people, I've spent 12 years interviewing happy people, mate. Imagine 12 years sitting down with happy people. And within... Within three weeks of interviewing them, I found out, I realized they had the same shit in their life that I've got in mind. Exactly the same world. They've got potholes. They've got Mr. Trump in charge. They've got Brexit happening to them. But they've got different thinking. That's it. That is basically it. Now, it's a little bit more complicated than that. But ultimately, that's the starting point is to realize that it's, it's, it's your thing. It's, and, and happiness isn't something you can choose. That's a... It's a bit of a bugbear of mine on social media, on Twitter, you know, you well, choose happiness. Happiness is an emotion. So therefore you can open up and allow it uh, more, but I don't think you can choose it. But however, and it's a bit of a subtle nuanced uh, psychological point here, is that positivity is an attitude. Yeah. And therefore positivity is something that is in your control. And the more, and what you find with the two percenters, the biggest single thing they do is they cho choose to be positive. Yeah. Right, so it's a, a, and if I choose my words really carefully here, it is a, a deliberate and conscious choice to be as positive as life will allow them to be. Now, that's not always easy and it's not always obvious. And just because you choose to be positive doesn't mean that the potholes are going to go away and then doesn't mean Mr. Trump's going to jack his job in. It, all it, it doesn't change the external world at all. The choice to be positive changes your internal thinking and, your, and the way that you feel about yourself, the you, way you feel about the external world, and therefore it opens you up to happiness. So if you're asking, I mean, I know it sounds really simple, but choosing to be positive is the biggest single thing. And, and I describe that a bit like your eyelashes. So if you, if, you, if you kind of take a quick look around the room that you're in at the moment and... Yeah. And, and, and your eyelashes are there all the time, but yeah. you never see them. You're never going to catch them. You never, you know, however quick you move your head you, or your eyes, you're never going to see those eyelashes. And the choice to be positive is, is like that. It's, is, is most people never see it. Most people are never, only 2% of the population are consciously and deliberately choosing to be positive. So, yeah. I mean, if you try and write 130,000 words about that, I told you it was simple. I try yeah. to make that sound complicated, but that's basically what it boils down to. Yeah. Well, it's choice. That's it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And, and, it's, and it's so, and I wanted you to, to say that because I thought, surely it can't just be me. Because when I spoke 
to, yeah. to, to, you know, to Lucy, my partner. And I say to her, you know, there have been times when things, you know, I'm starting this new business and everything is, you know, is fantastic. And me being Mr. Happy all the time and just being super positive, I'm like, everything's going to be fine. You know, it'll be great. And that's always my attitude, even when things aren't. But what I say to, you know, to when I work with clients, I say to them, control what you can and what you can't control except because there are certain things in life that you just can't control potholes people being annoying you know there is trump you know and there is certain brexit and these things are they really affecting me right now do they ever affected me as an individual so far no you know and that's the thing that i've learned for me and there are certain things that i think you know what as long as i make that choice to be happy, to be content, to be a good person, to be loving, to be kind. For me, then whatever else happens in the world, it's a choice for me to, as you said, to then attach to that and say, well, actually, do you know what? This is starting to affect me now because it's affecting my pension or so on and so forth, whatever it may be. Do you agree with me? Well, yeah, we're overthinkers. The human beings are overthinkers. We, you know, I don't know if you've read the book, um, Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. I don't know if you... No, I haven't read that. But you don't need the book. The title says it all. Zebras zebras don't get ulcers, right, mate? Because... Imagine a zebra. What, what happens is it's munching on the grass in the uh, in the savanna grasslands. It, a lion starts chasing it. So what happens with the zebra? The zebra runs like the clappers, probably craps itself on the way, it escapes the lion, and then within about another minute, it's forgotten about all that. It's munching on the grass again, right? Because it hasn't got the bit of the brain that we've got here, the prefrontal cortex, the bit that keeps your hat on, the forehead, mm-hmm. right? The, the, the zebra doesn't have a prefrontal cortex like us. So it can't reminisce about it, it imagine if you got chased by a lion fella right you'd run like the clappers as well and you would then have post-traumatic stress disorder because you would relive that over and over and over again you'd have sleepless nights you'd be going to the doctors on medication because you're overthinking and what the human being brain because of our brains are so sophisticated and um, we overthink so much and it's our thinking it's our thinking that's killing us essentially yeah. we've got we, the reason that you're a weirdo is and, and you're in that two percent is because human beings have this thing called negativity bias built into our brains. So we are cautious by default. Our brains are wired to see danger and to see problems Mm -hmm. because negativity and and danger saves your life. So so if you hear a a, a screeching tires and a car horn, you will immediately, your brain will leap. It won't think about it. It'll just leap out of the road to save your life. So on the lookout for danger, that saves your life. Happiness doesn't save your life. Right? And, and therefore, you are less inclined to see it because it is not a, a game changer. It enriches your life, but it doesn't save it. And therefore, we, as human beings, we are programmed to spot the crap. We are programmed to spot the potholes. We're pro- one bad driver ruins your commute. You forget your brain doesn't see 500 good drivers. Yeah. One awkward customer ruins your day. Your brain doesn't see the 500 good customers. One pothole and you get home cursing to your partner about the state of the roads. You've forgotten that there's 100 miles of non-potholes. What happens all the time is reprogramming your brain, which is what you're trying to do with mindfulness and what I'm trying to do with positive psychology. Mm. There's effort involved in being positive and upbeat. It's easier to go with your default brain, which is negative, Mm. and spot all the crap and moan about it. And because it's effortless <laughs> to be negative, <laughs> but most people do what's easiest. And what you're saying and what I'm saying is stop doing what's easiest and start doing what's, what's best. It yeah. does require a little bit of brain retraining. So I don't know if you've all been positive, but I haven't. I mean, I've had to learn this. I've had to, you know, I spend, I'm, I'm from Derby, mate. It's not a hotbed of happiness. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. No, I mean, I, listen, I agree with you. I wasn't always happy. I think I've always had that in me. And, you know, I, I, I was born in Brazil. I came to this country when I was 11. I couldn't speak the language at all. So that in itself was a struggle. And, you know, I mean, this is another conversation, but before I started doing this, you know, about two years ago, I was pretty much almost dead. You know, I suffered from really bad, uh, various addictions. You know, I tried to commit suicide. A few oh times. man, I didn't know all that is me yeah. getting off on one. So uh, yeah. Okay. Wow. So yeah, it was definitely not, you know, so I've always been bed of roses, you know, I've been addicted, very heavily addicted to drugs and alcohol. I was a sex addict, food addict, 
So well, man. So you've turned your stuff around. So how, so what? I mean, I don't want to be interviewing you too. You may come on my podcast and we'll do your story. But yeah. that is remarkable. So was there a moment, or what? What was the thing for you? Yeah, my my wife to be. I'm going to marry her next month. If it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be here today. Shit. Oh yeah. wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I got to the point where I just kept just kept self sabotaging. You know, my whole life. Um. And I used drugs, alcohol, food, sex to, to, to cope with... with, with well, fella, all right. Well, I'll stop you there because that's really interesting because what you're talking about is, is hedonism and the hedonism is instant happiness. Yeah. So if, if we do... A, if we do, I've got no problem with, with, you know, if you want to do a line of Coke, do a line of Coke. But what we're really saying is if you're doing 10 lines of Coke every day, that isn't going to bring you long-term happiness. No. And the problem with alcohol and, and a bar of chocolate and a bottle of wine and a bottle of Southern Comfort is that they will bring you instant happiness. Mm. But, but but those quick wins don't last and if we're all searching for, for happiness in in drugs and food mm. then well you ask a drug addict you know uh, having a can of beans on a camping stove in a, in a shitty bed sit whether that whether their drugs have brought them long-term happiness and the answer is no so mm. it's a quick fix and, and actually you you're i didn't i didn't know you had such a powerful backstory but that backstory is really amazing because it means that the instant happiness isn't isn't it, it doesn't doesn't tally with long-term happiness long-term happiness is about purpose it's what you've got now it's about purpose yeah. it, it, it's having a vision it's having a having a reason for getting out of bed in the morning that is that has got more of a long-term um solution for it and sometimes you have to put your instant happiness off so you say have to say no to a bar of chocolate and no to a yeah. no to the fifth beer and no to <laughs> but saying no it, it, long term is a good thing yeah, no, absolutely. Listen, and, and I'll be celebrating two years next month, you know. So, Dude, well, yeah. hats off to you. I'll doff my, doff my cap here. But you know, the whole, the whole kind of, it'd be interesting to measure happiness in Brazil and see if they're happier. Um, but I mean, I did, I did a, just to brag here, I did a, a, an article being brilliant in Mauritius. It was sticks in my head, mate. Oh, Somebody man. in the team had to go to Mauritius. So I'm thinking that'll be me. <laughs> and as I'm flying to Mauritius from Gatwick, I'm thinking, why am I, I'm going to Mauritius to deliver a program on happiness. This is bizarre. <laughs> you know, when you fly into these tropical islands, you look down on them and they're like mm. coral reefs and palm trees. And I'm flying, landing, I'm thinking, this is going to be a disaster because what can I teach them about happiness? And yeah. I went to my first thing in Mauritius. There's about 150 people on this seminar about the art of being brilliant. Yeah. And they were coming up to me before we started. Mo the Mauritius people moaning about how hot it was in Mauritius and <laughs> moaning about all the, <laughs> the cost of living. And they were as miserable yeah. as the Brits. Yeah. The tropical island with palm trees and, and white sand. And yeah. I think if... Even Mauritians need to be happier. Yeah. They're all going, oh, we want a jacket in and come move to London. I'm going, no, no, you no, don't. Because no. <laughs> <laughs> they're searching, they're searching like you were for happiness being somewhere else. Yeah. yeah and what you found, it. you found it's already inside. It's just exactly. tapping, into, tapping into it, knowing yeah. how to take control of the only thing you can, which is yourself. Yeah, that's it. And your thoughts, that's, your thoughts more, yeah, more than that. That's exactly that. And, and it's interesting because, you know, you, you just mentioned there, you know, it doesn't matter which country you go to, even in Brazil, you know, beaches, you know, you've got great food and great people. And then, yeah, people are generally happier. But the common theme is exactly the same. Yeah. It's all external. You know, you're not paying, you're not getting paid enough. You don't have enough money. You don't have the car, blah, 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 blah. blah. It's that kind of that you know, the Facebook life, as I call it, yeah. you know, that's what people were searching for, this, this Facebook life. And I had that Facebook life for years. You know, if you looked at my life on Facebook, you think, God, I had the perfect life, you know, the house, the car, the kids, the yeah. job, everything. But I was dying inside every day. Wow, and I couldn't wait to die. That was the worst thing. And, and you seem to have found that when you're working with people as well, you know, that we all search externally. And the the and most people, as you said, we've got what four thousand uh, yeah. days. You know what I mean? To, four thousand weeks, yes. Four thousand weeks to you know to to live this life. It, it isn't a lot, you know. And if we keep searching for for happiness externally, we're going to get to three thousand nine hundred and ninety nine. We're going to go. <laughs> Yeah. and what happens to most people doesn't it, it does happen to most people fella yeah it brings me back to a, uh, there's a great quote that i sometimes use in the workshop um, by a guy called robert holden and he says if there's something missing in your life then it's probably you and i think that's a really smart quote because i think what he means is that sometimes 
your to-do list. You've got so many stuff to do, so many emails and so many clients to see, and so many meetings to attend to and so, many, so much stuff to do that I think sometimes we forget who we are. Yeah. And I think getting, getting to be your best, your best, best mate in your head and, and learning to think like one of the two presenters does, like you have recently done in the last two years and I did you know, 12 years ago, is, is you come alive with it. And when you come alive, the great news is when you come alive, then you're good for it. It's your gift to the world because the people around you come alive too because you, you become a 2%. You, they catch your positivity. Um, so I, I, I like that. I, I figured, and it's a, I'm, a, I'm not a particularly academic person. I only figured about three or four years ago, and it's going to sound a bit weird when I say it, but where, wherever I go, I'm there. And, and that's kind of a realization for me in terms of what I mean by that is that I can't get away from me. I'm totally and utterly trapped with me for 4,000 weeks. Every single second, I can put my trainers on and run across the, down the road as fast as I can, Forrest Gump style, but I'm still stuck with me. And you're stuck with you. And whoever is listening to this is stuck with themselves for 4,000 weeks. So therefore, what that means for me, it makes perfect sense if I'm stuck with myself to be stuck with a version of me that I'm proud of. But yeah. to be stuck with a version of me that, that's got some hope and some optimism and some positivity and a smile on my face rather than the version of me from 12 years ago that was stuck with quite an average version of me that was doing what everybody else did was counting down from a weekend. I'd come alive on a Saturday yeah. and then go back into my depression again on, on Sunday about four o'clock because Monday come ne came next. And I'd learned that Mondays are bad and Fridays are good. And, and I'd learned, you know, the habits of how everybody else lived and I was copying people and I, I, I stopped doing that. I've started to try, try and blaze a bit of a trail and be a better version of me. And that's well, the best thing I've ever done. Really. It would be stupid of me to, to spend 12 years interviewing happy people, find out the secrets and then not do them would be crazy. So I've decided <laughs> to it. do yeah. what they're doing yeah. I've with them really. But yeah. Oh my God, it's a better place. But it, It's so interesting. You say that because you know, I'm, I, say to clients, you know, and I say to people all the time, you know, listen, you, you wake up with you and you go to bed with you, you know, doesn't matter whether you're go to sleep with your partner or you've got your kids around and everything. And I say to, to, to people, and sometimes people don't understand this. And I talk about gratitude a lot, you know, yeah. and that, that kind of the, the sort of that art of happiness, you yeah. know, and I say to people, look, the, everything that you have externally is a bonus. It's a bonus, you know, because, and as you said, you have to get comfortable with you because you are never going to run away from your problems. You're never going to run away from your issues no. and your insecurities. And I say to, and, I, and I've learned this from personal, just personal experience. And I try to share this with people to see if they find, you know, uh, common interests as well. That the, the, the negative stuff that's inside us, I describe it as like, it's like poison. And the reason it keeps coming up is the body rejects it. The body wants you to deal with these things. So if you're having a trauma or insecurity or low self-esteem and you go about life and as you said, you know, you go and buy food, you drink, you drug and, you know, you go and do whatever externally that makes you happy temporarily. And then you have to sit by yourself, which people cannot do for mm -hmm. five minutes I try to get people to meditate and it's incredible how to, for them to start with, they go, oh, I can't sit for two minutes and I get people to meditate for like 20 minutes and they wonder how on earth, what did I do to them? What pill did I give you? I gave you nothing. I just taught you how to, to, to slow down, mate, slow down. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's interesting. And I, and I just want to mention this because it's, I actually took a, a, a screenshot of it a little while ago. I was rereading through your book and I really loved this quote. Um, because I always have that inner child. I found mine. Do you know what I mean? It was hiding underneath all of my stuff. And I found my little Alex. And one of your quotes says, the average child laughs about 400 times a day. The average adult laughs about only 15 times a day. Just reading that broke my heart. And then it says, what happened to the other 385 laughs? Right. Um, Story time, mate. You ready for this? True story. Yeah. I deliver the art of being brilliant and I now I deliver it with kids. And your, that quote takes me to a school in Sheffield. I had two days in, with these year sixes. What are they? They're about 10 years old. Yeah. So I'm doing a non-sweary version of the art of being brilliant. It's, it's really good. Kids love it because they're already happy anyway when they're 10 or most of them are. Yeah. Um, and so on the th it was a Thursday, Friday, very quickly, uh, I was doing the art of being brilliant. Morning break, the bell goes, kids go out for playtime. 
I followed the staff room, staff down the corridor to the staff room, had a cup of coffee and a, and a biscuit, made small talk with the adults in the staff room. While I'm making small talk in the staff room, I looked out of the staff room window onto the playground and there's 400 kids out there having the time of their life. I've never seen so much energy. They're tearing around, running around, playing TIG, playing Stuck in the Mud. They're just having the best time ever, mate. Absolutely full of beans. Then one of the dinner ladies rings a bell so the kids kind of freeze and she rings the bell again and they and that releases them and they get lined up back into their year groups back and they get filed back into the class now as the observer watching that it all happens in about 45 seconds they do it every day it seemed to me like right you've had your fun out there now there's some top heavy fractions to be done so wipe that smile off your chops get your ass back in class it's going to get difficult now right so it's, i'm being a bit harsh but it seemed like you've had your fun out there now this is learning this isn't fun back into class so I watched it all unfold in about a minute I went back in with my uh, 10 year olds and I said okay guys I was, I was watching you out there I've never seen so much energy in 20 minutes you were just completely wild and happy and it was amazing so I said I'm back here again tomorrow so tomorrow we're going to do a social experiment we're going to do a world first in Sheffield so a break time tomorrow me and you we're going to go in the staff room and we're going to send the staff out for playtime. And these kids said, oh, I don't think you're allowed to do that. And I said, well, I'm going to make that happen, right? So I had a word with the head teacher, and she wasn't keen, to be fair. But I said, go on, please. I've promised the kids now. So she said, all right, go on then. So Friday, next day, I was in with the kids. The kids were so excited, right? Is it happening? I said, I think it is. I think it is. So morning break time. The bell goes for morning break. And me and 33 kids trailed down the corridor to the staff room. And 47 adults went out for playtime. And so now what I didn't realize is every single adult has gone out for play for left the building. It's me and 33 kids with, with a kettle. They're making cups of tea, hot water, you know, and all that. And they found the donuts and they're getting high on sugar. So, <laughs> so I kind of had to take the mind off that. So I said to them, I said, Hey, Oh my gosh, guys, look out the window. So all 33 kids went out to the window with the noses up against the window, looking out onto the playground. And we looked out there and there's 47 adults stood there lifeless arms folded looking at their watches, counting the 20 minutes away. There was no stuck in the mud. There was no TIG. There was not a game of football didn't break out. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and one of these girls, Chloe, Chloe said to me, he said, Andy, look at the teachers. She says, look at the adults. She says, why are they not playing? And I said, well, I'm not absolutely sure, Chloe, but I think they might have just forgotten. <laughs> and honest to God, mate, that I think, <clears throat> we forget, we forget. We get this thing called responsibility laying on our shoulders. We've got mortgages and jobs and, and what seemed exciting when we were nine, somehow it loses. Life itself can lose its luster. It can lose its shine. So peeling back some of the layers, getting back to that childhood exuberance. You know, when was the last time, when, when did jumping in puddles become a bad idea? Because if you can trace that moment, that's when your life started to get overly serious. Yeah. And I think lighten up. Yeah. I know life is serious and I know we've got responsibilities. I'm not asking you to, to be a complete idiot, but everybody listening to this is, 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 is get back to when you were seven and three quarters. And I'll tell you what, life was amazing. Life was exciting, wasn't yeah. it? And, and it's, it's seeing the world with that fresh pair of seven year old eyes. Yeah. And it comes it come alive again. Yeah. So just do more, do, do more stupid stuff. Yeah. Occasionally. Jump yes. in yeah. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it's so interesting because I found that again for me as a, you know, as a man, yeah. not, as a, not as a boy. You know, I found that, that little boy, but I kind of set him free and we connected. And it's interesting because that's when I became a man. You know, because before, for me, I was a man, I was a little boy in a man's body, you know. And I was kind of just thinking, what the hell was going on? You know, and that's it. I became serious and I wasn't sure what was going on. And I stopped laughing. I love to laugh. And now, you know, my daughter will tell you, she's 13 and she's like, dad, stop. You're so annoying because I'm Excellent. always annoying her and still tickling her. And my, and my wife, she, you know, because I'm always doing weird dances and, you know, I am that weird 2%. I put my hand up. But listen, I own that shit, you know, completely. And well, you're making a career out of it, fella. I mean, how cool is that? Is that it's kind of, I, mean, I won't go with the whole reborn thing, but you, you pretty much are. I mean, you've been in a dark place. You've, you've, you've come out the other side and you've got a passion to share it, which is even better, isn't it? It doesn't have to be, you know, my wife and I, when we first got married, we've been married lots of years now. For the first 10 years, our ritual was we get home from work. And we'd spend half an hour, sometimes a bit longer, bragging about who's had the worst day. So we <laughs> fell into this sort of torpor of, uh, she was, she was she's a newly qualified teacher. So I'd say to Lou, I'd say, how was teaching today? Was it any better? 
And she'd say, oh, Andy, will you stop calling it teaching? It's not teaching. It's crowd control. I've not taught anybody anything all day. You know, they're trying to look down my top. These, these year 11 lads are not trying to listen to me. I've watched the clock till half past three, and I'm like, oh, I've hated it. When can I retire? And I'd say, well, you're 23, so hang in there for another 40 years. And after six months of married life, mate, don't fall into the trap of if I stopped listening because it was the same record, broken record. And all I was doing was waiting for my go. So as soon as she paused for breath, I'd jump in with, oh, you think your day's been bad? Wait till you hear how bad my day's been. And we had a competition to see who's had the worst day. And that's just the way that it was. But what you're alluding to is something really powerful. And that's, it's not the way it has to be. Yeah. So this being a two percenter, and you've said it better than I've said it, is a learned behavior. You have had to change something in your mental construct here, in your thinking, and you've come alive. And you don't now need vodka and sex and, and, and chocolate and cocaine or whatever you were doing before. You don't need that to come alive because you know that it, and it was already there. It was already within you anyway. Yeah. You just didn't know. You just hadn't found it. Yeah. 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 And that's the, and that's the, and that's the, 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 the beauty about it, you know, and, and, and I actually wanted to, to ask you because, you know, you, you talked about or you mentioned about, you know, your happiness being bigger than you. For people that won't understand that, you know, describe that. What does that mean? It means that your happiness leaks out of you. You have a ripple effect. Um, so your happiness transmits to three degrees of people removed from you. So what that basically means is that, so if you went into work with a smile on your face and genuinely upbeat, positive attitude, then everybody you meet during that day catches your happiness by a minimum of 16%. So you, these are your direct contacts, your family, your friends, your work colleagues, your customers, whoever you meet during the day. Mm-hmm. If you're in a good mood, they will catch your good mood by 16, minimum of 16%. But it doesn't stop there. So let's say you go into work with really positive, with a smile on your face and um, so all your team are now 16% happier. Then one of your team goes to meet uh, a client, a customer. Now, because that team member is 16% happier, that customer catches your happiness by 10%. All right? So it transmits. So you've not met that customer, but they're benefited from your happiness. But it doesn't stop there either. Because then let's say that customer who's feeling 10% happier, they then go home to their family. And because they're 10% happier, their family benefits from your happiness by 6%. So it has this ripple effect, 16, 10, and 6. Uh, so you haven't met the customer and you haven't met their family, but you've made them happier. So you, everybody all the time is creating this little ripple effect of happiness. Yeah. And if you're a leader or if you're a parent, then I think it's multiplied by exponentially. So your, your impact there is even bigger than 16%. So your happiness big, is bigger than you. Is, that's what I'm talking about. It's your gift to the world. So learning to be a 2%er, because it is a learned behavior, learning to be one is bigger than you. It's the, best, yeah. the biggest thing you'll ever do for your family is yeah. be a 2%er, because they'll catch it. You generally, the general rule of parenting is your children won't do what you say but they will do what you do. So children copy your behaviors. Yeah. And if you want your kids to be two percenters, you, you can't go home after listening to this podcast and go, right, teenage daughter, I've listened to a podcast. You've got to be happier. That isn't going to work. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but if you go home happier, yeah. that's it. You've got to role model it and role model it on a consistent basis. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's almost that simple, mate. It, it, but I love the ripple effect. I think it's because that's what it means to me is, is it's bigger than me. Um, it's, it's, it's almost, I don't want to sound too heavy. It's almost a moral obligation of me as a dad yeah. to, to be positive. Yeah. Um, agree more. biggest thing I'll ever do for my kids. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. You know, my son's, my son's 20 and he's, he's off in Australia. I said to him, dude, knock yourself out, <laughs> go traveling, go do yeah. whatever you want in life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because this is the age where he doesn't, you know, he wants, he said he wants to go to uni now and then he changed his mind. He went to America, came back changed his course. Now he's gone to Australia. He's changed his mind again. I'm like, good. Are you having fun? I'm waiting for him to text me. You know, Mate, like, did you know what you wanted to do when you're 20? Of course you bloody didn't. You haven't got a clue, have you? I mean, it must be nice to have a clue, to, not, to have an ambition at 20, but I didn't. Oh, I had so many different ambitions. I wanted to follow my uncle and I wanted to follow somebody else. And you know, I was always changing my mind. And look at me now, sat here talking to you. I didn't think this was going to happen because this dream I got squashed when I was a kid. <laughs> so, yeah. you know. Yeah, they, I used to get told, get a proper job. Yeah, well, there you go. My dad still worries about me, mate. I mean, I'm 51. My dad's in his 70s. And he, he's like, Andy, I've got a business. And then we're doing all right. Touch wood and all that. We're doing really well. There's a training company. And he always says to me, he says, but you, but you haven't got a product. 
you've not got a thing that you're selling. You know, he thinks I should, because uh, I've not got a, I don't know, I'm not selling tables or chairs or cars with a, with, you know, I'm selling a philosophy, yeah. I'm selling a mindset. Yeah. You, can't, you don't get it. It's yeah. like, but you haven't got anything. How can you have a company? I haven't got anything. <laughs> We've got happiness. It's the, it's the, it's the best selling product in the world. Everybody it's wants it. it. Yeah. And what we do is, all we do is reconnect people with what they already know. And that I think, I mean, can, can we talk about the present moment? Can I just steer it? Because I know your mindfulness yeah. and, and is, is your thing. Yeah. Really. So how did you, so you deliver programs for males on mindfulness? Yeah, so not just males, females as well. Um, and yeah, we, we have a, a program which we call the Stages of Fulfillment. And we, we take people through their like 10 stages and we take them through. So we, we basically use mindfulness, coaching and the therapeutic uh, techniques. And we've put this together. And I think very, maybe very similar to what you do is, you know, we help people to find that emotional recovery, you know, and to find true happiness, you know, which is essentially, that's what I found. That's what my partner found, you know, and, and we've been very blessed to be able to, to create this, this program that it's not a, you know, and, and I think probably like you, you know, we, we don't create something where we just want you to try it once, do it for 30 days and you will be fine for the rest of your life. It's no, no, no. This is a way of living. Yeah. You know? So we want to create, and what we've created is a way of life, um, which involves, you know, this element of mindfulness, which I cannot stress enough how powerful it is. Well, no, you don't need to stress it with me, fellow. I'm, I'm absolutely, I'm there with it now. But I was, just, I was a bit of a, I was... <laughs> late to the party on mindfulness but i'm getting there yeah. um and i don't meditate but i'm much more mindful than i ever have been i i love the danish hugo who the hugo thing um yeah. so D- denmark's consistently rated as one of the happiest countries on the planet yeah. in the uk the uk currently is 19th in the happiness <laughs> it just depresses me i don't know where brazil is mate but you know the uk is pretty poor at being happy um but the danes have got this so i'm thinking well why is denmark number one they've got the same weather same economy and they've got this thing called hugo which for me is a brand of mindfulness and i'm sure you probably know what hugo is and it's quite a sexy thing at the moment but hugo is this sense of um coziness comfort being enveloped in snuggliness so it's not quite got a direct english translation um, but even little kids in Denmark are brought up with the philosophy of Hugo. So it's not a word, it's a whole philosophy. And I love the fact that, that over the last three years, when, since I've known what Hugo is, I've been much more in the moment, in the Hugo moment, noticing that happiness is already here. Hugo allows me to step outside of the busyness and just for a nanosecond, notice things I wouldn't normally have noticed yeah. and be in tune with either love or my family or snuggly or in a hug things that normally would have passed me by. And I, I think it's been one of the smallest changes that had the biggest impact on my life. And if you come back to the now, the power of now and, and the present moment, and all we've ever got is now, yeah. and if I tell people <laughs> on workshops, men particularly, it scares the crap out of me because what I'm really saying is life is a series of moments. You've never got anything other than the present moment. Yeah. And therefore, all the, all the past you've got, all your memories, you can only access them from now. And all, all your future all the things you're going to do in the future, that doesn't exist. Because when you get to the future, that will also be the present moment. Yeah. See, men, men are like, shit, is that true? And of course it's true, yeah. yeah. And, and, and what happens is the modern world, we're agitated and dissatisfied with the present moment, mm-hmm. trying to get to a better present moment in the future. So yeah. we're putting happiness off for the weekend. Friday night, I'll go into town, I'll get hammered on eight pints of Stella, and then I'll feel happy. Yeah. Of course... This is, we're back to temporary fixes and and yeah. so being happy now yeah. in this moment realizing that all I, if i can stop being agitated about the present moment and start to notice it and be happy in this now yeah. that's pretty much that's it that yeah. blows everything else out of the water so what you're doing in terms of mindfulness and meditation and getting people to be um i always describe mindfulness of the awareness of being aware <laughs> yeah, that's it. um uh, then <clears throat> that's the pretty the most amazing thing you'll ever do particularly yeah. as men because yeah. we're really bad at tuning into now. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's so simple to just, you know, as we're talking now, just seeing how beautiful the weather is, you know, just having this conversation and the people that are going to listen to it later, because that's not the future, you know, we're doing this right now. You know, <laughs> but the right now is we're having this conversation. And that's the incredible thing about it. And I say this to, to, to clients and, you know, when we do talks, I say the same thing. Human beings have become experts in two things. Regretting and living in the past and projecting the future. 
you know, and we live in that bubble, as you said, you know, for years, you know, and we live in that and we breathe this. And someone said something a couple of days ago, which again, really hit me and I wrote it down really quickly. Comparison is the thief of all happiness. Yeah. You know, and it's so true because we, 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 we live now that we, we're not thinking about us at all in any way, shape or form, you know, and what I try to, to get people to understand is the past is gone. Forget it. You know, or not forget it, accept it, yeah. accept that it's done. And what I say to people is try to look at things, everything that you do in a positive way. Nothing's a failure. It's a learning curve. Are you still here today? As you said to 80 men. Are you still alive? And they all put their hands up, yeah. you know? And that's exactly the same thing is, are you here right now? Yes, you are. Okay. So feel your body. Understand that you are here right now and that you're never going to change what happened in the past. So grow from that. Take it as a positive. So yeah. every single thing you do. And if you want to, to, to look to a future that you want to be happy with, plan it and then live here now and work towards that tried that differently and, it, and it's interesting that people it's almost like all of a sudden when you're watching them the penny drops yeah and their face completely changes and and that's what i wanted to, to sort of ask you you know with with your course and what you do you know with the art of brilliance what's your sort of philosophy and you know and, and what do you try to do to, to get people to yeah we do we're doing the same but in it's like say slightly roundabout ways it's called destination addiction by the way what you're talking about there is it, happiness is like this pot of gold at the end of at the end of a rainbow happiness yeah. is a lovely feeling i want more of it but it's over there i need to earn it and pursue it and make it mine and that can't as you said right at the start of this uh, podcast that con starts when we're tiny because what our parents and our teachers tell us when we're in primary if you work really hard in primary school, you'll get really good SATS results. And when you get those great SATS results, guess what, kids? Then you'll be happy. Then you go to big school and you work really hard in big school, you'll get A's and A stars in your GCSEs. And when you get really good grades, guess what? Then you'll be happy. And because you've got great grades, you'll have a great job. You'll have a sales target or a production target or a customer service target. And when you hit your target, woohoo, guess what? Then you'll be happy. Or classically, You'll be happy when you're walking down the aisle with your perfect partner. And most people go their entire 4,000 weeks in this relentless pursuit of this happiness pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And what we do is, is, is we challenge that. We say, what if, what if that's a big, fat societal lie? What if, that's, what if we've missold happiness? What if happiness is a fantastic feeling and we've all got room for more of it, but what if it isn't at the far end of the rainbow? what if it's actually at this end what if it's already here in the now so what if it's the happiest primary school kids that get the best sats results so what if being happy now is crucial in your learning and your motivation and your growth mindsets what if it's the happiest year 11s to get the a's and the a stars what if it's the happiest salesperson that gets the most sales because it will be yeah. or or what if being happy now is the key to finding your perfect partner and walking down the aisle so the big the big game changer fellow in happiness is what if we've been looking in the wrong place or in fact the wrong time zone i'm putting your happiness off for the future, it's called de yeah, destination addiction means that on Monday morning, most working people, their aim is to get through the week, is to survive the week. Or you might have a holiday booked in three weeks and somebody says, how are you? Only three weeks to go. Right? And what you're doing psychologically there is sticking your happiness in, in three weeks' time. But what you're really saying to yourself today very powerfully and very subconsciously is, I've just got to get these three weeks out of the way. I've got to get them over with. Yeah. Well, Really? I'm in my 50s. I've not got enough weeks left. Pushing <laughs> them away and counting them down. Yeah. So stop being like everybody else and bring your happiness back. You can, my two percenters, guess what? They're happy on a Monday, same as they're happy on a Friday. Yeah. Doesn't make any odds. They realize Mondays, they spend, you spend a seventh of your life on Mondays. It's yeah. a massive chunk of most people's life that they're wishing didn't exist. Yeah. I call it irritable bastard syndrome. <laughs> They're getting angry because it's Monday or upset because it's Monday. I'm like, you're 70 of your life on Monday. If you want to be different, stand up for Mondays. Yeah. 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 And, 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 and rejoice. Or, or Friday, let's flip it. Friday is another week closer to death. That's what I tell my audiences. Yeah. And they're like, oh, shit. Yeah, it really. But we celebrate it like, yay, Friday. Yeah. I'm like, no, Monday, it surely is Monday is another opportunity to make a dent in the universe. Monday is another opportunity to be fully alive. Monday is an opportunity to create a ripple effect and influence people three degrees removed from you. Yeah. So bloody wake up. Yeah.
Yeah, that's it. I mean, <laughs> could have said it better. <laughs> well, in terms of gratitude, and you spoke about gratitude, I'll give you a, I'll give you a top tip that, come, that I learned. So if choosing to be positive is one of the biggest single things that the two percenters do. Then I learned that in 2008, and I was reading a self-help book. It was a book about mindfulness, actually. And it said, what you need to do is wake up in the morning being really grateful that you've not got toothache. And I can remember thinking that was a bit weird, but I thought, you know, what, I'll give it a go. And yeah. I didn't just do it once. I did it every day for a whole year. Yeah. And it's a very bizarre thing because I, I didn't wake up full of beans, but I would wake up in the middle of winter when it's dark at 6 a.m. I'd crawl out of bed, hand to jaw and go, well, you know what? Woohoo, another day with no toothache. So straight away, that conscious thought of not having to, it's a thought, it's all it is, gratitude really. Puts, give, gives me the energy of two people. So when my kids came down for breakfast, I'd, I'd be bouncing around full of life because I've got toothache and, and yeah. I'm serving the Cheerios with a smile. And my kids went off to school much happier because dad was happier. Yeah. I was happier because I didn't have toothache and nobody knew because it was a game entirely played in my head. And I did that for a year. 2008 that was. Came alive. I had the energy of two people. My family was happier. My relationships were stronger. My job went, my career went off the scale. So the next year I thought, well, this is amazing. I've accidentally learned how to choose to be positive. Yeah. So I thought I'm going to keep it going. So the next year I changed it to kidneys, just changed the body part. Yeah. The kidneys are rub at 6am and go, oh, you little beauties. Still, <laughs> I'm still alive. I'm still here. And, and, and I, I don't have to do it anymore, but I had to train myself to do that. It took me about a year and a half before the circuitry of my brain changed. And yeah. I naturally learned, I'd learned how to, how to do the biggest single thing 2%ers do. And that was conscious and, and deliberately choose to be positive and gratitude, not having toothache. I mean, it's not about toothache and kidneys. It's about your 4,000 weeks. It's about, I've realized that one day I won't be able to get out of bed. And what you've been saying right from the start of this is, is one day I, I'll be too ill or I'll be too old to engage with life at all. So while I can get out of bed, yeah. I may as well get out of bed like I really mean it. And yeah. by, I know that sounds obvious, but by inserting that little choice and effort in there at 6am, yeah. then you stand out a mile because most people are counting down to Friday yeah. and I'm getting excited on a Monday. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and it's so interesting because gratitude, you know, I, I had none, you know, and, and, and I started to practice gratitude. I actually do a gratitude list. Yeah. I write between 10 and 15 things that I'm grateful for, you know, at the end of each day. Yeah. And, you know, in the mornings I do my meditation and I do, um, I do affirmations as well, just kind of positive affirmations. And it's so interesting because, and I want to start ending up on this. I know kind of we're slightly time constricted, but <clears throat> with regards to, and just for people who are listening, just for them to understand what takes more effort to be happy or to be miserable. Right. Do you know what, mate? I'm going to break your heart here. It is easier to be negative. Mm. So it's your default position. Unless you remember what I said about negativity bias, your brain is wired to, to notice things that aren't going very well. Yeah. It is completely effortless to do what everybody else around you is doing. And everybody else, as a, as a human being, you're a social animal or gregarious creatures. So you look and you copy the behaviors around you. So if everybody else at work is moaning about potholes and the commute and the traffic and the weather and Brexit, then the most natural thing in the world is to feel that you want to join in to be socially accepted. So you end up joining in with those negatives. And therefore, it is more challenging to be a two percenter to rewire your circuitry to dare to stand out as well and yeah. to be a consistently positive upbeat happy human being full of hope and passion and optimism that is a harder position to take and therefore because it's harder to be your best self most people default to, yeah. to what's easiest and we're back to well don't do what's easiest do what's best and what's best there is effort involved in that can i leave i know we are time constrained so can i leave you with a thought about time yeah right and it's a Sometimes I use it in schools and it's, um, uh, I was <laughs> ask kids, what have the Greeks ever done for, for us? And then I make a really bad gag about uh, Prince Philip <laughs> and, and yogurt and orgies. So they have brought us some stuff. Um, but what are the Greeks ever done? And the, the concepts of time, I think this should tune in with what you do and what I do. The Greeks have got two concepts of time. They've got Kronos, which is the Western kind of ticking clock tick tock tick tock time is limited time is passing always so ticking away which is what the brits think of time as but they've also got something called kairos and kairos is a sense of this is our time this is the time this is the right time this is the moment if you like mm -hmm. and i love the fact that time is always so chronos is true you know time is always ticking it always will do 
But I love the fact that listening to this podcast and engaging with you and know now a bit more about your past and what you do on a daily basis now and how you've come alive with it is everybody listening to this, Kronos is true, as, uh, sorry, Kairos, this is your time. This is it. We haven't got anything other than the now. Mm. So I think seize the moment and go with it. And I love the fact that uh, Kairos means um, go for it. Time is, the time is right. It always has been and it always will be. So yeah. stop putting things off and stop <clears throat> being so negative and, and, and change your thinking. And if you yeah. change your thinking, you become one of those two presenters. Yeah. Um, and it's good for the people around you. That's a bonus. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. You know, I, I say to people all the time, you know, um, uh, you know, make time, don't waste it. You know, because this is the thing, isn't it? You know, time only moves one way. You know, yeah. and and this is the thing, and every single second is is so valuable. And it's about making that choice. Do you want to make it live in the life that you're living, or are you going to make that conscious choice to say, "This is it. I'm going to change." This is your time, Kairos. Go for it. Yeah, that's it. Final question for me. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? And how would you use that to help change the world? Uh, my superpower probably would be happiness, actually. And I think um, if you, you know, I'm not going to explain why, because I've just explained it about 10 times about that ripple effect. And, and the fact that, well, all your emotions are bigger than you. So the problem with emotions is, is if you, you could be super negative, that also has a ripple effect. So when you're having a bad day, and everybody has a bad days, even 2%ers have downtime. So you're allowed to have a bad day. I think that's important to, to acknowledge before we sign off. But um, your superpower of positivity and happiness is literally your gift to the world. And I, can't, I can think of nothing more powerful you will ever do within your home, within your family and your close friends than be the best version of you. Yeah, amazing. So how can, can people listening find you, Andy? Where can they find you? Where can they search for you? Um, we're artofbrilliance.co.uk. Um, so we do keynotes and workshops. We've got loads of books out there on Amazon as well. If you put Andy Cope into Amazon, there's, there's oodles of really cool books. I, I think they're really cool anyway. Um, and it's all simple. That's the best thing because uh, I'm simple. Um, and yay, you're holding up the art. The art of being brilliant's good. There's a new one called Shine, mate, which I think is I've written it with Gavin Oates, who's a, a, a Scottish guy, and he's like proper funny. And yeah. I think if you put my Doctor of Happiness and his brand of humour together, I think it's a really powerful book. So if you're going to buy one, look out for Shine. Yeah, Shine. I'm definitely going to grab that. I'm going to read it. I love this book. It's good lad. Great book. Yeah. Listen, Andy, thank you so much for for taking the time to speak to me, man. This was brilliant. I am absolutely pumped after I had this conversation. Hey, mate. Well, I think uh, I, I hats off to what you're doing, mate, and hats off for, for making a career out of what is clearly your passion. Keep, keep doing it, fella. Helping to change the world one person at a time. <laughs> hey! We're here today. All right, mate. <laughs> Take care. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for, for listening. Have an amazing day, and I will speak to you again soon. Take care.